The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. This morning we'd like to go to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and been looking at the book of Acts and God's pattern for a thriving kingdom. And during our last message, we looked at the radical conversions and radical change, radical repentance that were exhibited in the book of Acts, the amazing life changes of people from pagan idolatry, but also lives of, of sinfulness and then changing to uh, devout service to the Lord. And those are things that you don't see every day. They're radical. They're, they're a significant change that really stands out to people, even those that uh, just receive information, uh, third-party information from the outside looking in. They would look at it and say, wow, that's, that's amazing. And uh, this morning, we'd like to look at radical giving, radical generosity, which is a very amazing attribute that we saw in the early church in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, and then alluded to in Acts chapter 5 as well. So we'd like to look at this, Acts chapter 2, and we know verse 42 really well, right? Acts 2 and 42, the, the four core activities of the church and the four core activities that we should be engaged in in the church as well. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And then when the church committed to those four simplistic core activities, the rest of the chapter shows the effects of that. And the, the pattern is just as simple today. All we have to really do is follow the pattern of the book of Acts. And I believe that the Lord, in his time and according to his will, will bless with growth and with a kingdom that is thriving, that is growing. So these are the effects. These are the effects of a church that is committed to these four core activities of the Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, Breaking of Bread, and Prayers. Fear came upon every soul, this is verse 43, fear came upon every soul, and many... Wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together. Unity. We're going to, Lord willing, bring a message on unity very soon. And for, for you to have this type of amazing outpouring of generosity, the church has to be in perfect unity to be able to handle that, those funds, the equivalent of today's dollars, thousands and thousands of dollars of funds to be able to be used in the right way, the, the church was in perfect unity to care for all the members of the church, that they had all things common. And there were people that were so burdened with the, the blessing of the kingdom of God and the blessing of finally understanding salvation by grace alone that they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They sold their possessions and goods and parted to all men as every man had need. We also see this in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, you'll remember in Acts chapter 3, you have the healing of the lame man, and then Peter's given an opportunity to preach there in the temple, and then you have 5,000 men join the church, and they're thrown in prison, they're let out of prison, and then they have a powerful prayer meeting for boldness, and the Lord blessed them in the aftermath of that. So we have yet again here in Acts chapter 4, in the aftermath of that prayer meeting in the midst of persecution, we see again the, again the perfect unity of the church. Unity. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. We certainly pray the Lord would give that type of 
unity of heart and soul of all the body of Christ, certainly for us here at Macedonia as well. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. Keep that in mind. Keep that phrase in mind. That none of the things that they possessed was his own. But they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And then we're introduced to Barnabas, Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. A Levite, who was of the country of Cyprus, he having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then at the beginning of chapter 5, you have this interaction here with Ananias and Sapphira that in the midst of this amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit and people being burdened to sell possessions to benefit the rest of the members of the body of Christ, you have Ananias and Sapphira, that there wasn't anything wrong with them not selling all that they have. And obviously we're not called to necessarily sell everything that we have. We need to be generous and give as uh, the Lord has given us ability and as God has prospered. We'll elaborate on that throughout the course of the message. But <clears throat> we're not called to sell everything that we have, but it appears these people were burdened to sell significant possessions to do that. So they're, they're, they weren't obligated. Ananias and Sapphira were not obligated to sell everything that they had, but the problem was they wanted the attention and the glory of men for people to look at them and say that they did sell everything that they had. So when they sold a portion, they lied to the church about what they had actually sold it for. Again, they weren't obligated to, to sell literally every possession that you had. The problem was is that they came to the church and tried to give the pretense so people would view them very highly and brag on them to receive the praise of men that they lied to the church about what they were giving. And not only did they lie to the church by the time that Peter begins to confront them, he says that you lied to the Holy Ghost. You gave a false pretense uh, about what you gave to the church. And then the Lord struck them dead. He struck Ananias dead. Then Sapphira came in and she kind of came up, tried to uphold the same lie. The Lord struck, struck her dead too. And no doubt after that happened, it says great fear came upon all the church, right? Uh, again, you're not obligated to sell all that you have, but don't be dishonest. Don't lie to the... By the way, I think that, that's a connection that we need to make sure that we, that we always make, is that when we deal with the church, we are dealing with the Lord. And if you lie to the church, you're lying to the Holy Ghost. That's the, that's the connection that Peter makes here. If you lie to the church, you're lying to the Holy Ghost. And the Lord takes that seriously. So obviously, <laughs> when the Lord's dropping people dead for lying to the church... Overgiving, there was great fear that came upon the whole church. And then at the beginning of Acts chapter 6, we have the, uh, the issue with uh, favoritism of preference of the Jewish widows and neglect of the Grecian widows. And the reason why they had that, that ability to have the daily ministration to care for those widows indeed is because of the amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit in burdening people to sell possessions to help those that were in need. So <clears throat> let's back up and um, think about the context here of Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 in this early church where people were burdened to sell possessions to benefit other people. It's, it's been uh, very difficult for us to uh, be able to identify with the type of sacrifice that first century Christians, especially Jews, but Gentiles too, had to make to press into the kingdom. Uh, we've just been so blessed in America that uh, outside of the 
rapid decline over the last 20 or 30 years. We have had generally an environment and even governmental principles that are based primarily on biblical principles, right? And we've been so blessed to have that privilege here in America. And because of that, we really haven't had to sacrifice too much for the kingdom. And I'm thankful for that, right? I mean, I'm thankful I haven't had to lose my job for the kingdom. Um, and we should thank the Lord and, and hope, as Brother Jeffrey prayed, that the Lord continues to put a hedge of protection round about his church and round about his body. But in these days, though, if anyone confessed Jesus Christ, they were going to be put out of the synagogue, okay? And that's not just saying, you know, there, there wasn't bouncers at the front door of the church saying, hey, you can't go into a church. It's, it was much greater than saying, hey, you can't come to, to worship on Saturday. You can't come to worship on the seventh day of the week. If you were cast out of the synagogue, and this, this culture is still, if you've ever done any, any research on the Muslim culture or Islam, I've read some books about people that have been converted to Christianity, and the, the, there, are, there are children of God that uh, have not fully renounced uh, Islam that believe in, in Jesus Christ, but they're terrified to do it because not only if you live in an in a Islamic community, not only will you be fully ostracized in every area of the community, but your entire family will treat you as if you are dead. Okay, that's, that's the way they operate. And that is the type of environment that the Jews operated in in this early first century. So if you were cast out of the synagogue, number one, if you had a business, you had a business selling goats, whatever the business was, you would be blackballed to where if anyone does business with you, then they would also be blackballed, okay? So if you've had a business selling goats, selling widgets, whatever first century widgets were, okay? If you had a business selling stuff in first century Judea and you joined the church, you just lost your business. You just lost your business. You're not going to be able to provide for your family. Okay? So now you have people, these 3,000 people that, that have, have sold all that they had to, to possess the treasure that's hidden in the field, right? And you had some people that were more prosperous that had additional investment lands and investment property. And now you have people that, that are members of the body of Christ and members of the church, and you see them... They had a business and they were able to take care of their family, but now they can't. Now they cannot physically provide for their, for their, uh, for their kids. They can't feed their kids. And you have this movement of the Holy Spirit and this love inside the body of Christ that if I have something that is extra, I have a burden to give that up because I see my brother in Christ not being able to provide for his family because he is willing to sacrifice all for the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? The kind of love that they had for the other members of the body that they said, I'm willing to sacrifice this, this land, you know, we'll try to just put it, this is not how they lived, but just to give us a little bit of context, you know, if I, if I had that second home, that vacation home, you know, I'd been saving up money for that, that, uh, uh, something in relation to my hobby, a bass boat or a second vehicle or maybe a third, whatever it was, the extra stuff. You know, I have a vacation. I have my nice regular home, but I have a vacation home and I have this other land that I'm, you know, I've got trees on it and I'm saving it for an investment property and all this stuff. Well, I can't in good conscience just keep uh, uh, providing for, for this vacation home when I have a brother and sister in Christ that's sacrificed for the kingdom and they can't feed their kids, okay? Now, I'm not saying if you have a second home, you got to sell it. That's, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. But these people were so burdened that I cannot live with this degree of excess when my brothers and sisters in Christ can't, can't provide for the basic necessities. So the Spirit moved in them so strongly. They said, you know what? I'm willing to sell all of the extras that I have to provide for the kids. And that is radical, isn't it? I mean, when you read this kind of stuff, anyone would look at that and say, you did what? What? That doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Why, why would you sell 
this stuff that you have to provide for somebody else. I mean, maybe if it's your parent, maybe if it's your kid, but this is a guy you didn't know, right? This is a guy you didn't know a couple weeks ago, a few months ago, a year ago. You're willing to, to sacrifice that because of this member of the body of Christ, of this church that you just joined? That is radical, isn't it? Like that, that really would stand out in the eyes, and so much of this um, would, would stand out in the eyes of people who weren't even members of the church. It's so interesting that the Lord says, uh, if a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with them. There's a lot of Jews that did not, they did not become Christians, but it says here in verse 47 that they had favor with all the people, all the people. Now, we have a commandment to do good to all men, especially under those that are of the household of faith. So no doubt they took care of the, uh, the Jewish widows and the Grecian widows that joined the church, right? They're going to take care of them first. But you want to know what else they saw them doing? You didn't have to uh, have a ticket punch to be a member of the church for us to be willing to help a widow indeed. Now, we, we want to take care of the widows indeed first, right? But you know what? When there's a widow who is still a staunch Jewish lady that's still going to synagogue every, every Saturday, um, the church was helping her too. Well, that really stood out in the eyes of the community, didn't it? So they had, the way that they were conducting themselves, they had favor with all the people, even, even the Jews that did not even convert to the church. So uh, what I'd like us to do today... <clears throat> is to just give a general overview of, of uh, giving and our mindset toward giving because I, I want us to really understand that uh, giving is not a legalistic requirement in the way that it's presented in many churches today. You know, they, uh, they give the 10% tithe, and after you've written your 10% check, after that, you're, you're done, Right? You've, you've done your duty, but it's really more about us having a mindset of giving, okay? And that mindset of giving permeates every area of your life. Now, it permeates your finances, right? But you need to have a mindset of giving. And arguably, the most important thing that you need to have a mindset of giving in regards to is the most precious currency that we have is not money, because I want you to understand that the, the money that you've been entrusted with for a little bit, the possessions that you've been entrusted with for a little bit of time, it's not yours. It's not yours, it's the Lord's. And you're a steward of it for a little bit of time. And whenever you pass away or this world burns up, either somebody else is going to get it or it's going to get burned up. So God's given you a little bit to be a custodian of, and we want to be good stewards of that. But the most precious currency, the most precious currency that we have in this world is time. Okay? The most precious currency that we have in this world is time. So it's not necessarily about us just, we need to, we need to be burdened to help others that are in need, to do our duty to provide for the needs of the church, and to help others as we have opportunity, as the Lord has prospered us. But really, that's just a symptom, okay? The way that we approach our finances is just one more symptom of our mindset that should be a mindset of giving instead of receiving, right? A mindset that is focused on helping others and not expecting others to just cater to me all the time. Hopefully, we don't lose track of time and we make our way here. But in Acts chapter 20, in Paul's message to the Ephesian elders, as he feels like that's going to be his last time to preach to them there in Miletus, he says, reminds them of the words of Jesus. These are in red letters. The words of Jesus, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, you want to talk about how the kingdom of God is entirely opposite of the world, right? Uh, the world tells you something that is 180 degree opposite, don't you? don't they, right? Well, no, it's much more better for me to receive, 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 because it's all about me, right? The, uh, the trinity of the world, me, myself, and I, and it's all about me, 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 getting more and more and more, right? 
Well, no, Jesus says, God says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And you will receive many blessings. You will receive many blessings when you make a commitment to live a life of giving, okay? Live a life of giving. So it's not just about saying, hey, you need to give money to such and such. That's not the point. The point is, is having a mindset of giving that when I have a little bit extra, if I have the ability, I want to help someone else. Why? What, what does this all boil down to? What does this all boil down to? Because of God's amazing free gift to us, right? You want to know why these people were so moved to give freely for the benefit of other people? It's because these are Jews that have been carrying that yoke of bondage around their neck their entire life of nothing but works and the law and the Pharisees always making them feel like they weren't good enough. You're not good enough to go to heaven because you don't give the pretense of pride in a public way like we do. You're not good enough to go to heaven. You're not good enough to be accepted before God. That's the kind of yoke of bondage that they walked around with their whole life. But now these people had finally heard that, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about me earning eternal life. No, it's about free, unmerited, sovereign grace. And you're telling me that God came into this world and died for me when I was a wretched sinner and, and I thought that I had uh, lived a good enough life for God to let me into heaven, but then the Holy Spirit finally revealed to me that I'm, I have no good, no righteousness of my own. My righteousness are nothing but filthy rags before God. And, and God has just freely given me, he, he sent his son to die for me, to freely give me eternal life. They were finally tasting what grace felt like in their soul, right? And when they saw someone else that was willing to sacrifice for the kingdom, and he says, the Holy Spirit gets into this in 1 John. He says, look, how can the love of God really abide in you if you see a brother that's destitute of, of the basic necessities and you say, well, I'll just pray for you. I'll just pray for you. We pray for them, but if you have the ability to help them, you are not exhibit Charity's love in action, right? You're not exhibiting charity and love toward them because what did God do? God didn't look at you and say, well, I'll pray for him. You know, I, I hope that things turn out better for him. He sent his only begotten son to sacrifice, right? To make a sacrifice for you. And these people were finally understanding that this was the church. The book of Acts is the church in its first love. In its first love. You want to know what's so sad? Is that one generation removed. We talked about uh, we talked about the church there in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 and those people that converted to witchcraft and they burned those books worth 50,000 pieces of silver and they were, putting, they were putting the graven image out of business. They were putting the temple of Diana out of business. 40 years later, only one generation, only one generation removed from that first love stage. He writes to the church at Laodicea. And even the church at Ephesus, Laodicea, they've become lukewarm. But the church at Ephesus, he says, yeah, you're doing some things right. You're giving the, the pretense of casting out false apostles and the pretense of, of remaining faithful. But you've left your first love. And, and one generation removed, only 40 years. The church of God is so fragile, okay? It's one generation, every single, it doesn't matter how thriving they are. Every single church is one generation from either being dead or thriving. Every church. And the church at Ephesus that the Spirit of God was moving so powerfully in, one generation later, he says, you've, you've lost, your eye has not been single, you've lost sight of the ball, you've left your first love. He said, repent. Repent. But what the book of Acts are, we've been trying to consider all these attributes of a thriving kingdom what this is, really, is a church in its first love. A church in its first love. This is what a church looks like in its first love. Let's back up to the Old Testament for a little bit. Those people that came out, that first generation that came out of Egyptian bondage, that went into the promised land, it says that they were faithful. They were faithful 
to serve the Lord that entire generation. But then the next generation, one of the saddest portions of Scripture in all the Word of God, that next generation did not know the great works that the Lord had done. All they'd ever known is prosperity, right? Now, there was a whole generation that they knew about the wilderness. They knew about Egyptian bondage. But then that next generation that had just grown up with wells they didn't dig, that, grown, that grew up with vineyards they didn't plant, that they grew up with a land that flowed with milk and honey. So what did they do? They said, oh, this is great, right? They became lukewarm. They, they, they didn't understand the sacrifice and the power of God that allowed them to have this blessing. And now what happened with that next generation? They didn't know. Why? Because that first generation that was in their first love, they neglected to teach them. Or maybe they did teach them, and maybe the kids just didn't listen. You let one more generation go, and where do you arrive at? The time of the judges where every man did what was right in their own sight. That's how quickly things spiraled down out of control. Okay? <clears throat> the book of Acts is a church in its first love. But it's so sad that after that first love generation passed away, what happened? That next generation, all they'd ever known is spiritual prosperity in the kingdom, right? All they ever known. So now they're, they're giving the pretense of religion, right? They're giving the pretense of we're casting out false apostles and we're doing all this stuff, you know, the, the highfalutin Christianity. But you've lost sight of the goal. And the goal is loving Jesus Christ. It's not about um, we uphold this. We honor Christ by upholding the articles of faith. We honor Christ by upholding the truths of Scripture. But listen, true Christianity is not based on a, a precise definition of theological points. It's about loving Christ with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind. And if you're, even if you're doing the right actions, but if you're doing it for the wrong reason, the Lord says in 1 Corinthians 13, that's vain, right? If you're not doing it because of charity and a love, a first love for Christ, then you've missed the boat. You've missed the point, okay? Okay, I want to back up to the Old Testament. <clears throat> I want to back up to the Old Testament to give some principles, principles of giving. Well, uh, okay, let's, let's go to Philippians 4 first, okay? Philippians 4. And it's very important that we understand that giving is an act of worship, okay? Giving is an act of worship. When we come to, to public worship, we sing, we preach, we pray, we fellowship, but a portion of worship is giving, is giving. And that's true when we attend worship and we have a, a duty as a member of the church to provide for the expenses of the church. But again, it's not just about writing a check to the church and then saying I've done my duty. It's about living a life of giving that it, but pours out in every area of your life. Okay. But it's very important that we understand that giving is an act of worship. And you provide that worship on Sunday when you provide for the expenses of the church, but you can engage in that same action of worship in other settings as well, right? And Paul's writing the book of Philippians from jail, the church of Philippi, which we won't have time to kind of build this for you, but uh, in, in the book of Corinthians, it talks about those uh, in Macedonia, and the principal city of Macedonia is Philippi, and he says that you gave out of your deep poverty. You gave beyond measure. I know your finances. I know that you don't have anything to spare. I know that you're the widow with two mites. But I know that you gave beyond your ability to give because of your love toward me. So this is not a pro the, the church at Philippi is not a prosperous church like Corinth. Corinth was, was very prosperous. And then the Lord rebuked them, or Peter rebuked, or Paul rebuked them. Um, for not providing generously. They had the ability, but they were too concerned about other things. The church at Philippi didn't really have the ability, but they loved Paul so much they gave anyway, okay, out of their deep poverty. So as they send somebody to go and minister to him there in prison, 
they send a gift with them. And he says here in Philippians chapter 4, we'll just start reading here in verse 14, Notwithstanding, uh, ye have done well, and ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians uh, know also then the beginning of the gospel when I departed from church from Macedonia. No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. They, they, they loved Paul, and they wanted to provide for him, even when he was in other cities. That's impressive, isn't it? You know, they're, they're willing to provide for his functions, for his needs, so he can preach the gospel, not just to them, but in other places. Because they were truly putting the kingdom first. For in, even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that it may abound on your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. This is where we wanted to get to. They made this sacrifice to benefit Paul, and he says this is an odor of a sweet smell and sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now, yes, God is honored by us doing our duty as a church member to provide for the expenses of the church, okay? But that's not this, right? This is a brother that's in prison, a brother that's in need, and I just love him so much that I want to provide for him. That wasn't in the context of Sunday public worship, right? It was in the context of our personal interactions with Paul, and he said, just as our prayers are described as coming up as an as a incense and a sweet-smelling savor before God, this is a sacrifice that they made before God that came up as an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. This act of giving, this act of charity, this act of love and action came up as an act of worship in honor and glory to God, right? So I want us to, to see that our actions of giving, whether they be monetary, whether they be giving of our time, giving of Again, uh, it may not be necessarily you giving a uh, dollar amount to somebody. It's you making the sacrifice to take your time to go fix a meal for somebody that's in need, and you take it to them, right? That's an action of giving that you're making a sacrifice. And I'll tell you, those, those little things are what make the kingdom, <laughs> Those little things come up as a sweet-smelling savor before God. It's not just about me writing a check and I've done my duty. No. I have an attitude of giving, and I'm always looking for opportunities where I can sacrifice to benefit somebody else with whatever I've been entrusted with. What can I do to make a sacrifice to give to benefit somebody else? Okay? <clears throat> so I want you to see there... That in Philippians chapter 4, the Lord is saying, this sacrifice that you made is coming up as an action of worship before me. And I am honored by that. And I am pleased by that. And that should be our desire, right? Is to please the Lord. And he is pleased by us making a sacrifice to give freely to those that stand in need. Okay, now let's back up to the Old Testament for a little bit and just kind of set a little bit of a framework for giving framework for giving. And it, it, so much of this has to do with just our perspective. We can have the attitude of the world that all this is mine and I am willing to give the Lord so much of what is mine and that's all I'm willing to give him or I expect something in return for that. We have to make sure that we turn that paradigm 180 degrees around, okay? And understand that what we have been given is an unmerited favor of the Lord in every area of life, every area of life. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the unmerited favor of God, I am what I am. And your finances fall into that category too. The Lord is not Lord of your entire life. You take notes, you need to write this down. The Lord is not Lord of your entire life unless he's the Lord of your finances and your checkbook. 
Okay. Everything you do, every action you engage in should be through the lens of putting the kingdom of God first and foremost. And your finances are not excluded from that. Because this is the attitude that we should have as we look to give. It should be our our opportunities to be actively looking for opportunities to give. This is the perspective through which we look at it. Because we look at it in the, in the sense of like it's all mine and I'm willing to give the Lord this much. You're just a Pharisee. Okay? You're just a Pharisee. Instead, the Lord has graciously given you things you don't deserve. And it's my privilege to honor him in giving him back what he saw fit to freely give to me. So here in First uh, Corinthians, excuse me, First Chronicles, First Chronicles twenty nine, David is about to pass away. He's been doing a really great job of trying to provide uh, finances for the ultimate construction of the temple before he passes away. First Chronicles twenty nine, and David says, after these people have given so freely of their own goods to provide. <clears throat> for the construction of the temple. This is the perspective that we should have with what God has entrusted us with. It's not ours. It's not ours. You're a brief custodian of a little bit that the Lord has given you. And as with every area of our life, we want to be good custodians of what the Lord has given us, right? So David says here in 1 Chronicles 29, we'll just jump in here in verse 12. For time's sake, both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might. In thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly? You've given us the blessing to even be able to offer you so willingly. Offer so willingly after the sword, but this is the phrase that's so important right here. For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. Okay? All things come of thee, and of thine own. We're not, we're not giving the Lord our stuff. We're having the privilege of making a first fruit offering of the unmerited things that the Lord has given to us. You see? That totally changes your perspective. It changes your paradigm. It's all the Lord's. You've given me this, and it's my privilege to make a first fruit offering back unto you. Let's highlight a few verses. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, and in verse 18, he's telling this, this to uh, this generation right before they go uh, into, the, uh, into the land of Canaan, and they make the same mistakes that all of us do in the midst of prosperity. Uh, that first generation, they appreciated it, right? And that's what we've already mentioned that. They appreciated it because they had experienced the wilderness. They had to walk by faith in the wilderness. They had to uh, wait on that manna every morning. You know, it was all gone every day, and the manna showed up the very next morning. They had to walk by faith every single day, getting up, trusting that the Lord would provide for their needs. But now this next generation, they have a land flowed with milk and honey. They don't have to live by faith anymore. So he's warning them, be very cautious when you are entering into prosperity. And what happened? God's people have never, never been able to handle prosperity. Ever. We always mess it up. We should be able to, to use it to the honor and glory of God, but instead we get lazy, we get complacent, we get lukewarm, and you look at it through every single generation. That's exactly what happened. And he's warning them of it, and then, of course, what do they do? They mess it up. Okay, But he's telling them here, be careful, be careful, verse 14, lest thine heart be lifted up. And you forget the Lord thy God. You forget that the Lord gave you all this stuff. Verse 17, my power, and thou shalt say in thy, my, thine heart, my power. You know, the reason why I have all this stuff, yes, yes, you went out and you worked. Yes, you planted the crop and you worked hard. Good job. Good job. You want to know the reason why you were blessed to be able to do that? I mean, you could have chosen to be lazy, right? You could have chosen to be lazy and not do anything. But the reason why you had the ability to go do it is because the Lord gave you good health to be able to do it, right? Now, you could use that good health and go and be lazy. But 
the Lord has given you the opportunity to do this. And he, he didn't owe you that, you know. He didn't owe you the opportunity to go do that. But just in case you start thinking, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth, you, 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 when, har excuse me, when harvest time comes, what was their first reaction? Was it to say, man, look at my harvest that I work so No, your first perspective when you uh, make your harvest is to say, thank you, Lord, for blessing the fruit of my labor because if, if it wasn't up to you, I wouldn't have had a harvest. So don't, don't fall into the trap of saying, I'm the reason that I have all this stuff. Instead, verse 18, thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto their fathers as it is this day. He's the one who blessed you to be able to do this. Now, okay, now let's back it up one more generation. Okay, let's go to Exodus 35. Exodus 35. Now, this is before that whole generation dies in the wilderness. These are the people that had experienced bondage, right? These are the people that had felt the, uh, the whips of the Egyptian taskmasters on their back. They had, they had felt the pain of bondage. And you not only did they get let out of bondage, they came out rich, right? Instead... Those of us that are just used to prosperity, we fall in the trap and say, you know what? Yes, I worked hard. Oh, man, I worked the overtime, and I earned that overtime. Well, good job. Good job. I'm glad you worked hard and you earned that overtime. But the Lord blessed you to be able to do that. But these folks, these folks that had just been in bondage a couple months ago, they didn't have any pretense of saying, you know what? I worked really hard for this. We were in bondage. And the Lord wasn't even good, just good enough to let us out of bondage. He let us out of bondage as rich folks. So what happened when, when the Lord said, come and offer all this stuff that I have freely given you for the, for the tabernacle? Did any of them say, you know what? Oh, man, I've worked hard for this. I ain't giving the Lord my 10%. We're going to have to skip a lot of this. You really need to, you really need to read all of Exodus 35 and 36. I'm going to highlight a few verses here. And he makes a commandment to these people. Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart. You know, the Lord didn't say, give me your 10%. He said, who's ever of a willing heart? And then um, verse 21 and 22, and they came and every man whose heart stirred him up and everyone whom spirit uh, whom the Spirit made willing. They brought to the Lord offerings of the work of the temple. And, and uh, verse 29, the children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord. Every man and what every single one of them, whose heart made them willing to, uh, to bring for all manner of work. Now let's skip to chapter 36 and in verse 5. They spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord had commanded. And the Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman uh, make any more work for the offering of the sick. And the people were restrained from bringing. They were so overwhelmed with the goodness of God in giving them riches that they didn't deserve when they'd been released out of bondage. They were so overwhelmed with the grace of God in their life that they were giving so freely that finally they had to say, look, listen, guys, we've got more than enough. Thank you so much, but we've given. They had, and they, they had to stop them. <laughs> they kept wanting to give more. Why? Because they were in their first love, right? They were in their first, why? Because they remembered bondage. But if you've never been in bondage, and all you've ever experienced is prosperity. It doesn't mean much to you. But I tell you, these people that have been in bondage, it meant a lot to them. And they said, I want to glorify the Lord. I want to worship the Lord by freely giving to him what he has freely given to me. That's what uh, uh, Jesus said to the apostles and when he sent them out two by two. He said, freely you have received, freely give. It says in... Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 7, what do you have? And meditate on this, because I think if you really spend enough time thinking about it, you'll agree with the Holy Spirit here. What do you have that you have not received? What do you have that you have not received? What, what in your life can you really look at and take 100% of the credit 
and say, I have received this by nothing more than my own hard work and determination. Well, you know what? I'm glad the Lord blessed you with hard work and determination. <laughs> but the only reason you're able to work hard is because he gave you two legs and a good mind to be able to do it. Right? He's the one that blesses us to be able to, and we can't take credit for any of it. Okay? <coughs> So we should be willing to give freely. Why? Because we have received freely, right? We've received freely. A few principles. <clears throat> A few principles that we'd like to highlight by way of, and this applies to financial giving, but it applies to the attitude and the mindset of giving as well, okay? Um, you don't have to turn to these. I'll try to hit these quickly. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says here, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and in verse 2, upon the first day of the week, okay? Uh, you, it's your duty as a church member to provide for the expenses of the church. I know I was very convicted personally um, when I was, I joined church when I was about 15, had jobs all the way up, from 16 all the way till when I was 21, 22 at that time, had jobs the whole time. But I never gave anything to the church. And I wasn't very convicted about it. You know, I was happy to attend, but I've just never felt convicted about that. And I went to a church meeting down in South Mississippi, and he spoke from the book of Malachi. And he talked about how you're robbing the Lord and, and how you're bringing the uh, speckled uh, offerings and you're not giving the Lord the very best you have. I felt very convicted about that. And I started giving during a time period when I was in college, there wasn't much to go around, you know, uh, as God has prospered you. I, I gave when it was, I felt, <laughs> Lord has a way of teaching you lessons, right? I felt very, I had, there was a time period back when I was 16, 17, I had plenty of disposable income that I was using, you know, for hobbies and a lot of other things. But when I felt convicted about it, there wasn't much disposable income, but I made a commitment to do that because the Lord convicted me about that. And you know what? The Lord has been very gracious to give me exactly what I need ever since then. Because he taught me some important lessons in that. Another little funny side note to that. I felt convicted not just about uh, giving to the church, but in that same message, I also felt at that time I had to wear a tie to work every day. And um, I felt very convicted that I was dressing down for church. I started wearing a tie and a suit they started trying to put me in the pulpit. Lo and behold, I ended up being called to preach, but uh, it was a few years later than people at the church thought because I started wearing a, uh, a suit and tie. But the point is, though, that the Lord deserves the best that you have, okay? And I was very convicted about that when I read that, when I heard that message in Malachi. And the Lord, in little bitty instances here and there, has taught me the principle of when you make a sacrifice for the kingdom, the Lord will always repay it, not just in full, but in extra blessings. A few little, and y'all know I don't try to talk about experiences very much, but these are things that I was taught important lessons, and they really cemented my understanding of what the Bible says that are truths anyway, but I learned it personally. There was a few uh, times that I went to the Wednesday night meeting long before I moved to Starkville. Um, I was still probably exercising at the time, and I felt very burdened. You know, I hadn't really contributed to that meeting very much, and I provided a $20 bill to provide for the needs of that, of that meeting, and I don't think I spoke. I don't even know if I prayed. But then I was very purposeful to do that. And I put that $20 bill. And by the time I left, I laid the $20 bill down and trying to help the needs of that meeting. And then by the time I left, I had two $20 bills stuffed in my pocket. And I didn't even, I don't even think I spoke. I don't even know if I prayed. But I think they were just trying to maybe give me some gas for driving down there. And that was such a simple lesson, but the Lord teaches you things in miniature so you can be obedient in the bigger things, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I made a little bitty sacrifice and the Lord gave me 
you know, that'll mean every time you give 20 bucks, you're going to get 40 back, right? That's not the point. The point is you can't ever outgive the Lord, right? Uh, I know later last year, we were really burdened to help someone that was in a financial strait. And thankfully, we had the ability to do it at that time. So we did. And then we had a, uh, a promotion, I guess you could say, at work where they were trying to encourage you to sign up for your health insurance and early, early enrollment early. And of course, you know, I'm going to be the, do it the first day anyway. So I signed it up on the first day and I, I was entered into this pool and a, a horn that has 3,000 employees. I just happened to win a gift card for this promotion that lo and behold was almost the exact amount that we provided to help that other person. You know, these are very simple examples but if you trust the Lord and you try the Lord, he will never let you down, right? You can't ever outgive the Lord. So give as God has prospered you. That's where we wanted to get to here in 1 Corinthians 16 and 2. You need to make a commitment to provide for the needs of the, uh, of the local assembly, but your giving is much more than just providing for the needs of the church. I would encourage you in your, in your own personal budgets, you need to make a commitment to be able to provide for the needs of the church, but you also need to have a little bit of a buffer just as a good budgeting tool. But also, it's up to you how you choose to use that buffer. And I hope that you have a little bit set aside when you do get a message that says, oh, this family had their house burned. Uh, this, these people are having these medical problems. These people have a baby in the NICU. These people, whatever, whatever it is, because those things come along all the time. And I hope that you have built into your budget to not say, oh, man, we can't make it work this month. Have it built into your budget to, to, to where I, if I have the ability, I can help them in a small way. And if you plan for it, the Lord will give you opportunities to do that, okay? Now, there also comes times where that $100 needs to go somewhere else, right? <laughs> In the midst of our budget. As God has prospered you, we don't have time to turn over there in Acts chapter 11, according to your ability, as you have ability. You know, we talked about time. There are times in our life where your time is much more constrained through no fault of your own necessarily. You're maybe, maybe you're just in that course of life. But boy, I sure am learning right now, especially with the baby we have on the way. At every single point in your life, most likely, I know I've, I can say this definitively over the last 15 years, I have the most time now that I will ever have. You know, I thought there was going to come a time Back when I was 20, there was like, well, you know, I get done with this, this, and this, get out of school, et cetera, et cetera. Now I have more time. Well, let me tell you, that time just evaporates, all right? So whatever stage of life you're in, I think I can say definitively that you have the most time now that you will ever have, which, by the way, it's all kind of funny in saying that, isn't it? You know, you have the, mo you have the same amount of time regardless, right? But the, the constraints on your time will only become more and more pressing the longer you live and the more responsibilities you inevitably undertake. So you have right now, you might be surprised to learn this regardless of your age, you have the most time right now that you will ever have. But at the same time, there are times where your time's a little bit more constrained and I can't always do the things that I want to do. But the Lord knows all that. The Lord knows if you're making excuses or if it's a legitimate constraint on your finances or your time. So give as God has prospered you, as you have ability. And the Lord knows. The Lord knows if it's a legitimate financial struggling time or are you really just saving up for that boat, right? Is it a legitimate struggle where I can't help this person or do I really just have my priorities out of line? And the Holy Spirit can certainly help us realign those priorities. I want to close in the book of Malachi. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 3, after, you know, the Lord rebukes them very heavily here in the book of Malachi, and then he's silent for 400 years. You know, you know uh, 
Doesn't it make you a little uncomfortable sometimes when maybe somebody like chews you out and then you don't hear from them for a while, right? The Lord rebukes them very heavily <laughs> in the book of Malachi, and then he's silent for 400 years until John the Baptist. <laughs> now, the Jews, they, got, they were all confused during this time, and unfortunately, they weren't, they weren't thinking about it the way they should have been. But if they were thinking about it, they would say, whew, man, I wonder what the Lord, what the Lord thinks, right? I mean, he, he, he rebuked us so heavily, and we haven't heard from him for 400 years But this verse right here, boy, it applies in giving, but it, it applies in every area of the kingdom of God that we've been trying to talk about from the book of Acts. If you think that your way is better than the Lord's, just test the Lord. Try him. Test him out. And I guarantee you, he will prove to you that his way and the way of the kingdom is better than your way. Okay? Whatever you think it is, and I don't have time to give all these examples. I could give you, I've been thinking about them, I've got 20 different examples that we don't have time to talk about. Whatever it is, if you test the Lord, if you cast your bread upon the waters, and I'll tell you, if you really, one of the, one of the most purifying aspects of your discipleship, that if you test the Lord, all of us don't necessarily want to just give our money away, Right? give our possessions away. If you test the Lord in your finances and you prove yourself faithful in the finances, I guarantee you he'll bless you in other areas in ways that you would not expect. But all of these attributes of a thriving kingdom that we've been talking about, there is nothing broken. Listen to me. There is nothing broken about the pattern of the kingdom of God. Nothing. All we have to do is follow the book of Acts. That's it. It's so simple. All we have to do is follow the book of Acts. And he says here in Malachi chapter 3, after he says, I mean, not just the offerings, but all these things that they were messing up. He says, bring ye, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove, test me, test me, try me out. The Lord says, try me out, test me, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You know, if, if you think that the pattern of the primitive Baptist church, the original church that we see in the book of Acts, if you think it's outdated, just try some of the pattern that we've been talking about. Just prove the Lord, and I'll guarantee you, he will give you blessings that you can't contain. Because our God is just that good. <laughs> in every area of life, in every area of life, he gives us unmerited favor that we don't deserve. And he says, prove me, test me, and you will never outgive the Lord. If you give freely unto him, he will give you a hundredfold more in spiritual blessings. And many times those spiritual blessings manifest themselves in tangible ways, okay? Prove the Lord, test him, and I guarantee you that you will receive more back. You will receive more back and blessings from the Lord than you ever gave to him. For those of you that have sacrificed for the kingdom, would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? You have received more back than you ever gave in sacrifice to him. Because our God's just that good. Amen? <laughs> so prove him. Test him. And maybe a good litmus test for you, it might be your finances. Maybe the Holy Spirit is showing you another area of your life where you need to test him and prove him. But if you, do, if you do that, if you do that, the Lord will give you blessings that not only would you not expect, but you may not even be able to handle <laughs> all the blessings that he has. Because he's got a storehouse that he's, that he's willing and able as a good heavenly father to give to his children. And he's willing to reap amazing benefits on obedient children. And we 
certainly pray that we could act in such a way to invite those blessings, for him to open those storehouses of blessings and pour it out upon his kingdom, particularly here, that he would pour it out upon Macedonia Church according to his will. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.